continuing on in the Gospel of John. We left off in chapter 11 last time. I have titled this message, Jesus is Finally Worshipped, sort of, uh, because of the scene we're going to look at tonight. There's, a, there's really a, a great and wonderful feeling. Where we left off, though, uh, Jesus has just performed one of his marvelous miracles. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, have been raised from the dead. He's been raised from the dead, and the greatness of this miracle was celebrated for all of about zero minutes. <laughs> because as we read, as the scripture tells us, Jesus knew that the, the Jews were plotting his death. And so he would no longer openly walk among the Jews. And so basically what the scripture tells us is that he takes off. Uh, and so up from this point on until the Passover, which would have been about three months uh, there in chapter 11 until the beginning of chapter 12, where it says then six days before the Passover, Jesus is gone. And we know, we know they didn't, but we know that uh, he had gone to the city of Ephraim and we don't really know where that is. Uh, a lot of commentators think it may have been on the other side of Samaria because of, of what other scriptures tell us. But uh, anyway, he was gone to the point that there in chapter 11, we see them wondering in, in verse 56, it says, They were seeking Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. It says, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast? In other words, what do you think? He's not going to come to the Passover? And, uh, of course, this communicates some important points about the ministry of Jesus just before we get into chapter 12. You know, we often use the term that Jesus is about, the term is this, Jesus' public ministry, that his ministry entered a moment where it became into the public eye. And, you know, sometimes we wonder what this means. Is this just a generalization about Jesus' ministry that, uh, that we call it a public ministry? But what this tells us, the fact that he was gone and they could not find him and they wondered where he was, tells us he, he had really had a public ministry. Uh, in other words, he was no longer public at this point. And, and everybody was wondering, where did he go? Uh, some think this may have been on the, uh, on the, uh, um, the, the, the sense that uh, it was just the religious leaders that were looking for him, but really the, the entire city of Jerusalem, or not the entire city, but a large population there in Jerusalem, they were looking for him. You know, back in this time period, you were either public or you weren't, uh, because everything was very public back then. If you wanted a meal, you had to go to the public market and pick up food, and uh, so on and so forth. So, um, there you go. The second thing is that it was all about God's timing. That's the second thing this little scripture tells me about. Jesus' ministry. It was all about God's timing. The Jews wanted Jesus dead. God had willed for Jesus to be put to death for the sake of our sins. But it was in His timing and not humanity's. They wanted Him dead, but they would not have their will. It would be in God's will. And this is both affirming for our faith and difficult for our faith, isn't it? To know that things are done in God's timing, in God's will, but not necessarily in our will. Uh, it's difficult because from our limited perspective, we often cannot see the reason for the delay, uh, right? I mean, if I was Abraham in the Old Testament, living in that time period, and I knew what I knew now about Jesus, and about His coming, and about His salvation, and His sacrifice on the cross, if I was Abraham, 
I would say, why are we delaying this, God? Let's go ahead and send this son of yours to die for the sins of humanity. What is the delay? Uh, why did God let the Israelites suffer so many years in Egypt, in slavery? Why did God delay in rescuing them, right? He, they were in slavery for hundreds of years. Why did they have to, uh, uh, you know, delay in, in, in the sending of, of the prophets and, and, uh, and of like Elijah and, and so many other things that would come and they would correct the Israelites when they had strayed from God's will? Why was there that delay? And even now, I don't know about you, but uh, don't you wonder why is there a delay about the rapture? Uh, or about God's ending time, or, you know, uh, about getting to go to heaven? Uh, why is God delaying those? And I don't know about you, but I find myself wondering about some of these things all the time. And for some of them, we have answers. Other questions like this, though, we don't have the answer, and, and, and it's hard on our faith. Well, it's hard on mine anyways. I don't know about yours, but it's hard on my faith to say, I don't understand the delay, but it's in your timing, God. It's all about your timing and your will. And then we come to John chapter 12. It's a week before Passover. And yes, Jesus is going to be there. The Passover is every year in the springtime. According to the Gospel of John, this will be the third time Jesus attends the Passover during his public ministry. And this scene is set, according to John, one day before the triumphal entry. We'll read about that next week or in a couple of weeks, and uh, they are in a house, they're celebrating, uh, they're, they're spending some time together, Mark chapter 14 verse 3 and Matthew chapter 26 verse 6 tell us that this is the house of Simon the leper, the commentators, you know, the Bible commentators don't really tell us, I mean, they don't really know who Simon the leper is, the Bible doesn't really tell us who Simon the leper is, most people believe that this may have been someone Jesus had healed, Hence the name Simon the leper. He probably had leprosy and Jesus healed him from that. And what is shown here for a brief moment is the kind of love poured out, no, one, no pun intended, from a life that recognizes the deep impact Jesus makes, us on, us, makes on us when we have been changed by him. So reading with me, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, it says, Then, six days before the Passover... Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had been dead, uh, whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 2, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would be betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to, to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always... But me, you do not have always. Let's pause a moment and, and pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, I, I do a, a really poor job of explaining it, Lord, and applying it uh, because I'm human and, and uh, I fall way short of what your word can do. It is, it is both powerful 
It is both in, in moving. It is spiritual in nature, and it touches our spirits. And, and Father, I just pray that at this moment, uh, we would all just take a, a time to, to focus our attention on you and, and worship you through the reading of your word and through the preaching of your word. Um, God, we are so thankful for what you did on the cross for us. Lord, let that uh, thankfulness show tonight as we spend time discussing this beautiful moment of worship around a table in a house with some folks. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Say it, amen. So there's some points I want to make about this scene. And, and uh, a moment ago, I called it affection for Mary. Its proper name, though, is worship. What happens in this house, in this scripture, is it's a scene of worship, a worship of Jesus only. Not first and foremost, not primarily, but worship of Jesus only. And not just by Mary and her bottle of spikenard or perfume or fragrance or oil or whatever word you want to put on there, but in some of the other little scenes that are described in this scripture. The first thing I'd say about this scene is that he is being worshipped just in the overall spirit of the household, the uh, air, if you will. See, the Pharisees are outside plotting to kill Jesus, and Jesus knows it. The scripture catches a moment, though, where Jesus is reclined with Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. And if indeed Simon was someone he had healed, both of these men were permanently affected by Jesus, and no doubt in their attention, their attention and their eyes, Jesus was the focal point at this time in the home. And remember, by Jesus' own admissions, he, he was homeless. He didn't have anything. He didn't have anything of worth. He couldn't bring anything to this party. Uh, he, he had no possessions, nothing to call his own. Yet what is he doing? Again, he's reclining at the table, it says. Mark's gospel in chapter 14 tells us that he was reclined in a relaxed position. That tells me that this was a place where Jesus was welcome. As he's reclined, he's, you know, he's not having to work miracles at this point. He's not having to do any teaching. They're just enjoying Jesus. You know, when, when someone comes to visit our home, a uh, relative or something like that, we usually call all the kids in and, and we kind of gather around that person. For a little bit. Um, we don't make the kids stay there. Obviously, they have things they want to go do, but for a, for a brief moment, we want to make sure they know they're welcome in that place. It leads me to ask a question. Is Jesus welcome in our home? There's not a lot of difference between being welcome and being worshipped. Jesus being welcomed and Jesus being worshipped. Because Jesus is not just worshipped in music and reading scripture or preaching a message. He is worshipped by his people, giving a life that honors and glorifies him. There are many actions and lifestyles that people feel free to do behind the closed doors of their homes. They drink alcohol, they do drugs, they watch inappropriate television. Um, they, they think that it's acceptable because no one sees them do it. But what we often forget is that when we are all alone, we are not alone. And as much as I hate to go old school, God is watching us 
And the answer is that many times there are things that we do in our homes that would not make Jesus feel welcome. There are TV shows, even news broadcasts, that I believe would not make Jesus feel welcome. And I'm not just talking about the language on the TV shows, but I'm talking about attitudes, false teachings, ways that they persuade us, the things that we watch that could make Jesus not feel welcome. And you know, an easy question we can ask ourselves is, would I watch this if Jesus was sitting right beside me on that couch? Because he is. If Jesus is not welcomed, then Jesus is not worshipped. If Jesus is not welcomed, he is not worshipped. This time, Jesus was very welcome in this house. He was reclined. Everything was about him. He was being worshipped. Second point is this, is that he is worshipped in their attention. And I kind of w- w- touched on that for a, for a moment when I said that they, it, was, it was all about him. But there's some specific things that tell us that he was the center of attention. The scripture says they made him a supper. They made him a supper. Who made it? Well, we don't know. Was it the family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Was it Simon and his family? It's a small detail, but when you join it with the rest of verse 2, it says they made him a supper. And Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And again, like I, I said, when we have folks that come over, we, we try to get the whole family in there to gather around just for a little bit. That's attention. You know, Jesus is being worshipped by their attention. Of course, we know this, they're serving, or they've made him the supper. And then, and then it says that Martha served. She served the supper, maybe she served to the needs. You need a damp cloth for your hands before you eat, something like that. There's a number of ways that we can serve guests in our house, give them our attention. And that's what Martha was doing. You know, in history, Martha will always be remembered for that story in Luke chapter 10 when she is corrected by Jesus because she was so concerned with the details of the meal that she wanted Jesus to rebuke Mary for just sitting there. And so uh, we often think of that, that that's the bad thing. She was serving or she was getting the food ready while Mary was sitting at the feet listening to Jesus' teaching. But that's not what I think Jesus was rebuking Martha for. That's not really what we need to remember her for. Uh, Instead, what we see is, is she was using her gift of service and she wanted Mary to do the same thing. But Mary had made a decision to sit and listen to the teaching. The issue is not that she wanted to distract, or the, the issue was is that she wanted to distract Mary's attention from sitting and listening to the teaching. And if that's what her calling was to do, then that's what she needed to do. You know, some pastors make this hard and fast rule that no one is to be in the kitchen preparing a meal during the worship service. That ain't my thing. If you want to be in the kitchen preparing a meal during the worship service, then go ahead Make sure it's done by the time we're done. But, uh, you know, if you want to serve food while we're serving the Word, that's fine. Just don't distract us, right? Try to keep that smell in the kitchen. These are small things. It's insignificant. I go to big conferences all the time where the big-name speakers shame me and other pastors because we haven't led our entire county to Christ. And it's 
not that I'm unconcerned with the lost people of Tyler County or the lost people of Comanil, but even Jesus took time to enjoy people and he saw this as kingdom work. All this to say that at this moment, what Jesus was being worshipped by was by their paying attention to him. Jesus isn't just worshipped by music. He's not just worshipped by sermons. Jesus is worshipped by our attention to him. There are so many things that distract us. I mean, we have the whole world in the palm of our hands in that cell phone. And it constantly distracts us. I see people walking around all the time, not with books in their hand, but their phone on their hand. I, I've seen people run into telephone poles or power poles. And, and uh, I heard a story of a, of, a, of a person that was walking around in a mall and fell in a wishing pond because uh, they were too in tune to what was going on in the palm of their hand. We have so many distractions. Jesus is worshipped when we say, I'm not going to be distracted by that. I'm going to give all my attention to Him. And He deserves all of our attention. You have seen maybe some other scriptural application. It makes me think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of the Lord. To me, that, that scripture is all about our focus, our attention. When I do something, who am I doing it for? Am I doing it for you? Am I doing it for Christ? We cannot do all the things, or, or we cannot do all things to His glory if our attention is not on Him and bringing Him glory in that very thing. So what are we saying? That everything we do, driving, cooking, spending time with someone, all these things can be acts of worship when our attention is on Jesus Christ. Give God the worship of our attention. Third, He is worshipped in their sacrifice. This action of Mary is one of the most famous acts of sacrifice for Jesus in the Bible. And in fact, in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, this statement of Jesus is made in her defense when some of the followers grumble about her. In those two Gospels, it says this, Wherever this Gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be spoken of her, in, or of, in memory of her. Which leads me to an interesting question. Have any of you ever told this story? The story of Mary pouring the perfume on Jesus' feet and wiping it off with her hair. I've always wondered about that when I've read the scripture. And I've even preached this twice in this church, this particular story. And that's, that's what Jesus says. Whenever this gospel is told, this story will be told in memory of her. I wonder why we don't tell that story more often. Just a little side thought. So why was Mary's act so sacrificial? Well, because this was an expensive perfume. It was probably saved up for a special occasion. The bottle alone would have been very valuable, and she broke that bottle. It may have been something that had been passed down from an earlier generation. Uh, it, it would have represented a very valuable possession. We see from uh, Judas's comment that it was perhaps worth 300 denarii, and some of your Bibles, if you have a study Bible, will tell you this, this may have been uh, several months, if not a year's uh, wages, salary. So it was, it was very valuable. What 
a valuable sacrifice. The very definition of sacrifice reminds us that it is a free will offering of devotion that will not or should not be asked for return. Why is it an act of sacrifice, an act of worship through sacrifice? Because she pours it all out and she doesn't expect anything back. She just uses it to clean his feet. Jesus deserves our sacrificial giving. There's many ways that we can give sacrificially to Jesus. And while the tithe and offering is one obvious way, it is not the only way. If this possession was the most valuable earthly effect that Mary had, then her act of sacrifice was, has set a standard for pouring out our assets for the sake of worshiping Jesus. Instead of reserving our assets for our own personal benefit, what if we poured out our assets and said, Jesus, however you can use this, I want it to be for you. Does that mean you need to go sell everything and give the money to, to, uh, to the church? That's between you and the Holy Spirit. Does that mean you, you need to go give everything away and uh, go live a destitute life uh, among the impoverished and leading those to Christ whom you can? I, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. Do you need to sell everything and go be a missionary in Africa or give it to a missionary in Africa? I don't know. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying is simply saying, God, it's yours. I give it all over to you. Do with it however you will. And then whatever that looks like, don't see it as a waste. Well, that was a waste. That could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Because that's what happens, isn't it? And that's why I titled this message, Jesus is worshipped, sort of. <laughs> because you have this beautiful moment. This, he's getting all of this attention. He's made to feel welcome. He has this worship of sacrifice from Mary. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that the mill wasn't a sacrifice and the service from Martha wasn't a sacrifice, but I really want to just tie those into the attention given to Jesus. But these are just beautiful moments, affectionate praise and worship for the Savior. And then Judas comes in and immediately ruins the worship service by asking these questions. Verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, by the way, this is not the owner of the house. This is not Simon the Zealot's son. This is another Simon. Anyway, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. John tells us the backstory. We know, because John tells us, that Judas did not care about the poor. We know that the only thing he cares about is himself. He says something about this action, not because he was concerned about helping the poor, but because he was concerned about helping himself. As John says, he would help himself to the money in the money box. Because he will miss out on that 300 denarii and, 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 and maybe getting something that he wanted later with that money. This type of individual can sometimes be found in the church. They raise concern over finances. They raise concern over superficial subjects such as attire and politics and worship length or music preferences. But their concern is not Jesus. 
Their concern is their own selfish wants and desires. And in the end, they purpose to steal glory and worship from Jesus and bring the attention and sacrifice for themselves and their own selfish wants. They serve to meet their own needs and not the needs of others, which is the exact opposite of what Christ came and preached on this planet. He was the one who said, I came to serve and not to be served. Jesus was all about sacrifice, wasn't he? Nobody is going to say a thing. Thank you. He was all about sacrifice. He was all about service. And he was all about the strength found in humility. Jesus is finally honored and finally worshipped. But understand, there will always be someone to take the focus off of Jesus. And as worshipers of Jesus, we must be strong and keeping our focus and attention on Him. Jesus, knowing the motivation of Jesus, Judas, rebukes Him, which is a wonderful point, by the way, about God taking care of our back. We don't have to defend ourselves. God will stand up for us. And then He makes this statement in verse 8. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. And more than likely you've heard this scripture preached a time of two. And, and the, the, maybe the question is asked, well, does Jesus not care about the poor? Of course he does. This is a statement of prophecy looking forward to the days to come. Jesus knows what is about to happen. The poor are going to be here long after I am. Why? Because Jesus is not going to be here much longer. He is about to go to the cross. And then he's going to go to the grave. And then he's going to rise again and 40 days later he's going to ascend to heaven. He has been alluding to his time coming throughout the gospels to the disciples and all those who would be listening. But he also sets up an important priority. Ministry matters. Ministry matters. But ministry does not supersede the worship of God. Sometimes the ministries in the church that we do in the name of Christ become the tail that wags the dog. Some of you will get that later. The tail that wags the dog. A church should have a good kids, good kids ministry. A church should have a good youth ministry. We should have a great music ministry. And we should have great preaching. But the moment this church becomes about any of those things, then we have replaced the sole focus of our calling in Christ Jesus. Our calling is to make much of Him. Our calling is to glorify Him and to worship Him and to do all things for His glory. It is all about Him and it is never about us. Our worship, our sacrifice, our attention, our service, our ministries, everything we do is supposed to reflect back to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. May the Lord tell us, may He show us if we stray from such a purpose. That is our calling as a church and I pray that it be so. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for its application to our lives. Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for your bold forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for showing us how to worship you. And Lord, would you just remind us when we stray from that? We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray this. Amen.